This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 34. Today's episode is all about the psychological benefits of a little bit of kink. Side note, you might want to earmuff the kids for this one. What's the depths that you are willing to experience to let go? And I think that's what love is, to let go and give in to all of the emotions that come up when you're surrendering to this force that's greater than you. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. First off, Mind Love is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can get all of your favorite podcasts. It has a super clean layout, and you can create playlists and download episodes to play offline. It's my personal favorite and where I listen to all of my podcasts. Don't worry, you can still listen to Mind Love wherever you get your podcasts, but I hope you'll give CastBox a try. Second, don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, and leave a review if you can. Reviews really help to entice more amazing guests, plus it helps me grow the show, which ultimately helps me give more value to you guys. A little disclaimer, I've been sick all week, so my voice is a little off, but I prefer to tell myself I've got that Phoebe Buffay sexy sick voice rather than the snotty little boy voice going on, so we'll get through this together. (laughs) Today, we are exploring a realm I have yet to hear on a mindfulness show, but I really think that there are so many benefits to opening your mind to things outside of your comfort zone. And when I go over some of these stats in a minute, you'll see why. We're talking about BDSM. BDSM stands for bondage, discipline, sadism, and masochism. We've all heard the saying that there's a fine line between pain and pleasure. But for those that partake in BDSM, that line is pretty blurred. Thanks to the famous Fifty Shades of Grey, BDSM is more popular than ever. The dating site OkCupid did a survey and found that 58% of users have a desire to participate in bondage. But another survey done in Australia found that only 2% of people admitted to actually partaking in BDSM. So I guess, depending on word choice, people may or may not admit to what they're doing in the bedroom. Now the question is, are these people with more extreme sexual practices freaks and sexual deviants, or does it have its benefits? Here's where it gets really interesting. Recent psychological studies have actually shown that people into this sort of thing might actually be happier and healthier. There was a study done in 2006 that showed, compared to the normative samples, BDSM practitioners had lower levels of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, psychological sadism, psychological masochism, borderline pathology, and paranoia. They did display higher levels of narcissism and dissociation. Makes sense. But okay, how about this one in 2013? 
This one showed that BDSM practitioners exhibited higher levels of extroversion, conscientiousness, openness to experience, and subjective well-being. But they did show lower levels of agreeableness. Not a bad trade, though, right? If I wasn't already curious, I was. I definitely am now. So today we're lifting the veil, and our guest is actually a professional dominatrix named Colette Pervet. She's been practicing the art of intimacy and power exchange for the past 14 years. She also holds a PhD in human development and education from UC Berkeley. And she thinks that fantasies and suffering have the potential to lead us to our higher purpose. So today, three key things we will learn are how becoming vulnerable can deepen intimacy, how to get the balls to speak your own hidden desires, and how to be more open and accepting towards people and situations in all areas of your life. Before we dive in, I want to invite you to sign up for the Morning Mind Love. You'll get short daily reminders of your own beauty, worth, and power so you can start each day with a positive mindset and keep your vibes up between episodes. To sign up, visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get our exclusive Powerless booklet, which is an awesome free booklet based on proven principles from the most successful people and some of our favorite guests. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation set at the Miracle Tone, which is known to help attract love, health, and abundance into your life. The layered affirmations perfectly tune your frequency for personal transformation. So be sure to head to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Colette Prevet to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How did you get into the world of BDSM and go from typical college student to dominatrix? It started 13 years ago when I moved up here to the Bay Area and I started graduate school. And my friends from UCLA moved up around the same time. And two of them started working at a house of domination. And one had a okay, not so great experience. And my other friend who I was closer with had a had a really good experience and I started asking her questions about what she was doing and it just sounded really curious to me. I didn't quite understand it, why men would come to pay a woman to do degrading, humiliating, painful things to them and didn't really know what it was, and I was curious. And so I called up the headmistress of the house, and I went in for an interview, and she took me in. That's so interesting. So you were just taken in. Having never done something like that before, that must have been totally nerve-wracking. What was that like for you? It was nerve-wracking, because there were so many things going on. I didn't know if it was legal or not, and it is in this gray area. I didn't know what I was getting myself into, really. And it was quite intimidating to come into a house where there are a dozen other dominatrices. And so it felt like I was just like the new girl trying to find her ground in the space of women who are very dominant. And I'm just learning how to be a dominatrix at that time. So it was completely intimidating and a little bit scary. Something told me to keep on going because I wanted to understand it. And I didn't quite understand it until I started just taking sessions. The place was called The Gates. And that's how you learned. You just kind of watched others take sessions. 
And then at some point you just say you're ready and you start taking sessions and that's how you learn. So it was completely intimidating and totally scary. And at the same time, exciting because you get to become somebody else. You get to act as if you are a woman in power. And what I learned is you act as if at some point you become this woman in power and it's all play. When most people think of the word play, they associate it with fun, but a lot of the things in a BDSM experience are totally out of the realm of what some would consider fun. So how do you define play? Play for me is just, it's kind of like kids on a playground, right? They say you want to play a game and you're like, okay, what's the game? And they're like, okay, I'm going to throw this ball at you and then you're going to catch it and you're going to throw it back at me. We start figuring out what we're playing and we have to kind of lay out the rules of the game. And I think in session, that's kind of similar in that you're like, okay, so in this game, I'm in control and you are going to surrender to me and whatever I want to do to you, you say, okay. And if you don't feel okay about it, we have a safe word and we come up with a safe word and it's the color red or banana, whatever it is. But that allows for both of us to kind of really play, which is go pretty far, pretty deep, push our buttons a little bit. And if it's too much, then we just say red. So there's kind of a dungeon client stereotype, especially since Fifty Shades of Grey, which I feel like is the first thing to bring BDSM to mainstream. So I think of this stereotype as a controlling, high-powered executive who just yearns to step out of his daily alpha role. Is this in line with your experience or is it broader than that? I think there is a stereotype, but there's also people of all walks of life. It's a pretty wide range and it's not just the high powered CEO or lawyer or doctor, but they do come to me as well. But I think it's for anybody who has a fantasy to let go and to surrender to a woman whom they respect and admire and find incredibly sexy, that they would want to experience this feeling of being able to follow Typically, it's mostly men who come see a dom, but lately I feel like there's been more women who are wanting to seek this experience as well. But I think the reason why typically it's men who come to see a dominatrix is because in our society, men are supposedly the ones who are always taking control, who are always kind of the dominant one in the bedroom, the one who knows how to be on top and, and lead. And so I think there's a reason why men see a dom so that they can experience in a private, intimate, safe container what it feels like to just surrender to someone, to let go and be played with and fucked with, right? That typically doesn't get to happen for most men. Where do you think these desires stem from? Sometimes you get these cookie cutter sexual preferences from people who never really sway away from missionary. And then you have people that want to be tied up and beaten. I've read everything from these desires coming from being spanked by a hot babysitter as a child. So now they fetishize it to they weren't spanked as a child. So now they fetishize it. Have you found any patterns here? For some, it does stem from some experience in childhood. And 
I think it's a pretty wide range where these desires come from. It could be something that one sees in a film or read in a book and they go, oh, wow, that's interesting. And that somehow one can spin a fantasy. Yeah, it's hard to say where these fantasies come from, where these desires come from. Like from my own experience, I find that the fantasies of surrendering and letting go come up when I am in a situation where it's, I have a deadline to hit, I need to write my dissertation. I find that during those times, I do have these desires to give in and let somebody take control. So I think that desires come from this need to counterbalance what's going on in one's external world. It's also something that comes up from your early teenage years, childhood. It's hard to say. It comes from somewhere. That's why I always like to ask a client, like, when did you start having these fantasies? And it does seem like it comes up pretty early on. I think as humans, we have this need to rationalize everything and to fit everything into these neat little boxes because it's easier to feel like you know exactly where something came from or why you are the way you are. But I do think that usually it's a lot more complex than that. Yeah. And it could be that one is revisiting something that happened that I was spanked as a child and I want to explore that feeling again, but in a safe space with someone who is a professional at that. It seems like a big part of your job would just be getting someone to open up about their desires and the truth of what they really want. How do you start to consciously create a space where someone is comfortable enough to reveal these hidden parts of themselves? That's a good question. And I think the most important thing is to enter in without any judgment. What's interesting is that when I find that when I tell somebody or anybody random that I'm a dominatrix, they begin to tell me their own experiences or their lack thereof in kink. And the role of the dom is to create a safe space without any judgment and completely just listening and accepting everything as is in that space of no judgment can can the other really just pour out their fantasies their desires even their fears and their limits without holding back without any shame i think it's really important to create a space that there is no fear and there is no shame in sharing and how you do that is just by being curious and compassionate and empathetic and also just excited that someone is sharing with you in this way. I think when people don't understand something, sometimes their first instinct is to protect their own belief systems. So they start to calculate in their heads all the reasons that they're the normal one and the other person isn't. But this is exactly how you shame someone else especially if that person is already worried about those same things. They still live in this society. They know what is and isn't considered socially acceptable. Well, usually. <laughs> but then what? That, that desire is still there. And also, there's so many things that if we really took the time to break down why something is or isn't socially acceptable, we'd start to see that normal doesn't really feel normal at all. A kind of petty example of this is saying bless you after you sneeze. It's like this ancient tradition meant to safeguard your soul from evil spirits. Or here's another one, handing off a bride from one man to the other at your wedding. Both of these things I refused to do for a period of time, although after being called out by two different boyfriends on how rude it was I wasn't saying bless you, 
I did cave to the pressures of society on that one. I personally could go on for days about the amount of things I've decided to question that we just consider normal. But in order to be a productive, functioning member of society, I have to let most of those things go. But when it comes to the feeling of acceptance and the happiness of someone you love, sometimes these things are worth examining. How has 14 years as a dominatrix changed your willingness to open up about your own secrets? <laughs> That's a really good question because for a long time I kept my job as a dominatrix a secret from my family and my colleagues in academia is I always thought the two worlds couldn't overlap because I didn't think that my traditional conservative Asian parents would understand. And I also didn't think my academic world would also understand. And so for a long time, I kept what I did a secret. What I didn't realize was that it does affect me and my integrity and that I always had to kind of come up with a story as to where I was, what I was doing, where all these gifts from my friends are really coming from. It it wasn't until I was outed by my sister to my mom that I that I stepped into my truth of like who I am and what I'm doing. And I think we all kind of keep these parts of ourselves compartmentalized, thinking that they won't affect each other, but they do. And what I've kind of learned in the past four years since being completely out to my family and to my former graduate advisor as well, is that there's something quite powerful in being able to step into your truth. And there's something quite liberating to not have any secrets. That's why it's so important to have a space to share what you're hiding inside. You said your sister outed you. Looking back now, do you wish that you had remained in control in that situation? Or do you think that you needed that extra push to kind of be thrown out of your own closet? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, looking back, I wish I was the one to tell my mom because I would have told her in my own words what I did and what I was doing and why I see the benefits of it. And when it was told through my sister who wanted me to quit doing what I was doing, but she was concerned about my safety. So she, you know, said it in a very alarmist way to my mom, and they were both afraid for my life that I was ruining it. I wish I was able to have that courage to tell my mom what I was doing, but I didn't. And, you know, I was so upset with my sister for outing me. But looking back, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. I needed that push. I needed that to come into my truth. And I think that I didn't have the courage or I would tell myself the story that my mom couldn't handle it, that they wouldn't understand, and that I have to keep it separate. I didn't realize until I came out or was outed that I could still be a daughter that my mom loves and is proud of while still being a dominatrix. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. 
That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. compartmentalizing like that can be really hard and usually comes with a lot of guilt as well. Did you ever experience shame around what you were doing? 
And how did you switch that to this feeling of empowerment that you seem to have about it now? In my own mind, I didn't see it as shame. I saw it as like some people get it and some people don't. But I think maybe if I were to dig a little bit deeper, maybe there is some shame to it if I was keeping it a secret. What I realize is that the secret that we hold, it becomes shameful to us because we keep on holding it inside, not knowing how the other person would receive it, how they would judge us. And the thing is, you don't know how it's going to be received. And maybe, yeah, it's true. My folks were pretty startled and upset and ashamed of it. I think what it was is that I wasn't ashamed of what I was doing, but my mom was ashamed of what I was doing. And so was my sister. And she wanted me to not tell anybody, you know, none of my relatives are supposed to know about this. And therefore, because I cared about so much about what my mom thought, and because she was ashamed of what I was doing, I was therefore feeling that shame too. I guess what I'm trying to do to eradicate that shame is by constantly coming out. So whenever anyone asks me what I do, be it like my Lyft driver or doctor, I just tell them the truth. I tell them I'm a dominatrix. And I find that when I say that, the conversation becomes a real conversation. It becomes completely authentic. And they go, oh, I've never met a dom before, or I've never met a dominatrix. And they're always curious about how I began. And they could ask me any question they want. And I'm so happy that I could answer their questions and hopefully dispel any misconceptions that they have. What do you think the most common misconceptions about it are? There are many misconceptions, but I think one of them is that I'm working with people who are crazy, who are out there and weird or need help. I think that there's a misconception that people who seek out pain, humiliation, degradation, submission are not normal when, in fact, Everyone I see are playing completely normal people in their everyday lives, but in this space where they can explore their fantasies and play out, role play anybody that they want to be, that what they want to explore just seems so strange to some people, right? It's like, why would you want to experience humiliation? Why would you want to be flogged? Why would you want to be pissed on? Why would you want any of that is what most people from outside looking at getting a glimpse of what's going on would ask. Like that just sounds crazy. And with my sister and my mom, when they both wanted me to quit, they thought I was slightly crazy. They thought what I was doing was crazy. And the people that I'm meeting with are not normal and that I needed help. And so I think that's a misconception that what we're doing is totally crazy. And I guess what's so interesting about BDSM is that it's a space that transcends binaries in the way that we think, right? It transcends pleasure and pain. Like the two, it gets blurred when pain becomes pleasurable. And crazy and normal doesn't exist anymore in the space where there is no judgment about what's normal and what's not. I think there's also this misconception that most doms are man-haters and they're just getting their anger expressed in this way, when in fact, in this space, it's all love. It's an expression of love that most people don't understand. 
And it's just like, what's the depths that you're willing to experience to let go? And I think that's what love is, to let go and give in to all of the emotions that come up when you're surrendering to this force that's greater than you. When we peel back the layers of our consciousness, we all have these dark pieces or these pieces that we don't think will be accepted. When we can't find ways to express them either physically or verbally or emotionally, I think just like with anything, they'll always find ways to come out and usually in ways where we have less control. Like maybe we lash out because there's this part of us that's being unfulfilled Or maybe our desire to be spanked or punished translates to us seeking relationships that are actually abusive. We all have our different things, but I think to feel a connection knowing we've laid it all out on the table and to feel total acceptance without judgment is this really beautiful thing, whether that involves some light role play or a whip and a ball gag. I agree. If anything, it feels like it's modeling what a relationship can be in that it's such clear communication, right? We sometimes we get into relationships with another and we don't communicate what our boundaries are, what our needs are, and we try to control each other as well. If you love me, I can control you. But here in this space where it's so clear what's going on, my sub is trusting me to take control. And in that space of surrendering there, they're able to shed all their layers of ego, who they think they are, it's completely gone. And they become objectified. They become nothing. They become anything that I want them to be. And they just serve and they bring me pleasure. In that space, it just opens up all these possibilities of how to express, how to express oneself, how to express love and how to trust. How has being a dominatrix changed the way that you think about intimacy? For me, being a dom has shaped the way I think about intimacy in that I can see that intimacy is really about being vulnerable and allowing yourself to get hurt. And I think intimacy is surrendering to it and being able to see beyond yourself I think the goal of BDSM is to try to lose yourself and to not have any sense of who you are anymore. And I think that that's what intimacy is and that we try to defend who we are in relationship and that's how conflicts arise. And if we could just let go of our sense of who we are, our views, and give in to what's coming up, it allows for more space for us to explore who we really are. And I think that intimacy allows us to actually see ourselves, our strengths and our weaknesses and our limits and our boundaries and our desires. And if we allow ourselves to be seen fully by someone without holding back, without trying to put on our best self, we're just allowing ourselves to be fully exposed and seen for who we are. That's what intimacy is. Have you had any aha moments or moments of clarity from your time in the world of BDSM? I think what I've come to really realize is that what makes this session so powerful and what makes the whole experience so incredible is that it's everything that you need to learn in life. It's in a session. You're learning how to trust someone. You're learning how to let go. You're learning how to shed all of the layers of yourself and become nothing. 
And in that nothingness, you find that you're limitless and that you could be anybody or anything for somebody or not. And you're not running away from the uncomfortable. You're not running away from pain. You are just in it and you're surrendering to it. And in that moment of surrendering to it, it doesn't become something to run away from. It is just what it is and it becomes bliss. It's a meditation of just being completely present to what is coming and what is there and experiencing it. You have been in serious relationships since you started working as a dom and you're open with them about what you do, right? Yes. That's pretty crucial that I am completely open about what I do. And my current relationship with my partner, he was actually my former client. So he knows completely what I do. Do your lovers ever experience any sort of jealousy or are they intimidated? And if so, how do you work through that? Um, yes, uh, my previous boyfriends in the past have experienced a lot of just feeling, yeah, jealous or they, they can't compete with my subs who shower me with love, affection, appreciation, gifts, and they don't really know what goes on in a session. They think that me being intimate with my subs and clients somehow takes away from our relationship and our, our intimacy. Somehow it becomes less sacred. But with my current partner who understands what goes on in a session, he knows that me being intimate with my subs and clients is a completely different relationship than what we have and that there's a space to explore these fantasies. And what's so interesting is that now that he is my partner, we actually don't play in the same way that we used to when he was my client. He actually seeks out my friends who are also dominatrices and fulfill his fantasies through their time together. And so I remember at first I was like, oh, I wish I was still your dom. But then I realized that maybe there is a reason why there's a dominatrix and that there's a space for someone to go seek out a dominatrix that's outside of their partnership or their marriage or their current relationship because... You know, maybe your wife doesn't want to dress you up as a woman and sissify you and do all these degrading things to you. Maybe it's just not the space, right? And so there's a space for that outside of that relationship. I think that when you don't know what's going on, it's very easy for jealousy to come up. But once you see what's going on in a session, how different that relationship looks, then it no longer becomes a threat because you have clear understandings and perfect knowledge of what the nature is and what it is not. Do you ever find yourself craving the opposite experience? Kind of like that high-powered exec we talked about earlier? Being the dominant one so often, do you ever just want to be the submissive? I think it varies from time to time. I think right now I don't have that desire I know that I'm a switch and that when I first started as a dom, I had fantasies of being submissive and I didn't have any fantasies of being a dominant. And now that I am a dom, I rarely have fantasies of wanting to switch or be submissive. I don't know. I think it really varies from maybe age or what's going on in the whole ecosystem of my environment. So I can't say that it's just this perfect counterbalance that I need. But from time to time, I do have those fantasies, and it doesn't come from wanting to counteract being a dom. What I find that I do want to do to counteract being a dom when I'm with my partner is that I become completely asexual, like almost like this 
really strange asexual muppety character that's like not at all sexy just really childish goofy and that's the way to like counteract being a dom for me it's just being um this really childish goofy character that i call slut mup or my character calls me slut mup (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i know that character She's not called Slut Mup, but I do go into toddler mode. There's like this entire personality in there that's just like a little kid. But I've always been kind of like a little kid in ways. And especially now that I'm married, I think it's just that I'm so comfortable with my husband and confident that he loves every part of me. So I'm comfortable enough to bring that side of me out more. That's role playing, right? That's like wanting to just be a child again and be goofy and silly and not have to think about being like, is this attractive or is this not? It's like, no, I'm just goofy, right? Yeah, we all have these different layers of ourselves. And the more of them you expose, the more intimate you become with someone. For me, my childish side doesn't really have a voice, but she definitely has mannerisms. And honestly, when my husband plays the counterpart of the big strong man taking care of me, some of those times are when I feel the most loved. Yeah. And what that's what I've learned, like Slut Mup, which is short for like Slut Muppet. <laughs> that character that comes out when I'm with my partner is actually the most expressive character of my feelings. And that's why it comes out. Because I can't, as adult me, be like, hey, I'm disappointed when you didn't show up for the thing that I really wanted you to. But Slut Mup could be like, oh, man. And, you know, I was really looking forward to that. And in like, geez. And he could respond to that way better than the adult me being disappointed in him and judging him for not doing what I wanted him to do, Right. The slut mop character can also express like my deepest fears, my saddest emotions with this cute funniness that can actually speak to him without getting his defenses up because I have abandonment issues. And now we could joke about it when I could say like, oh man, am I being abandoned? Super sad. Wow. Right. And way better than my adult self could ever say that. I can't be like, whoa, this is triggering something from childhood. And I know that I'm trying to get over it, but I can't. It just doesn't work the same way. And I think that there's so much wisdom in that child self coming out and expressing. Because that child self knows how to express without fear or shame. While the adult self has judgments about that. Okay, so when you start to explore these deeper layers of your consciousness and reveal some of your sexual secrets, sometimes this can go really well and other times it just might feel misaligned. How important do you think that sexual compatibility is to relationship compatibility? Oh, yeah, I think it's really important to lay it all out because the moment that you can't share something with someone that you're intimate in, that begins the breakdown of the relationship or a wall that comes up that you've created for yourself or in the relationship, assuming that the other can't handle it. And maybe the other can't handle it. And that's why these walls come up. And that's why you think you have to hold it to yourself, this secret that maybe the other person would think it's, oh, that's too much. Oh, that's too weird. Oh, that's 
strange. Why would you want that? And the voices that we hear from ourselves or the other can create that distance, that wall that makes it so that we can't be fully intimate with each other and we can't be fully vulnerable and let it all out. How would those that have known you since before your life as a dom say that you've changed over this time? They would say that I'm more confident in myself. Before, I used to question a lot. I used to have a lot of insecurities, especially around my body and the way I looked even. I think growing up in the 80s and 90s being Asian, that wasn't the typical model of what beauty was and what pretty was. And I also had lots of eating disorders, insecurities about my body. And it wasn't until I became a dominatrix that I was able to get a more accurate lens of reality that I was like, oh, wait, my body's fine. It's actually perfect the way that it is. And that this beauty that's unconventional is actually my beauty. And I'm so happy that I am the way that I am. And so I would say that I'm more just confident in my own skin and more accepting of myself and how different I am and more accepting of my weirdness as well. And I'm a better communicator than I was before. For those listeners who might be interested in starting to explore a little bit more in the bedroom, do you have any tips for opening those lines of communication or for stepping out of their comfort zones to start to play a little. Yeah. In the moment of being completely intimate and close with someone, just start asking like, Hey, do you want to know what my fantasy is? And I'm sure the other person would be like, yeah. And if it's hard for them to say it then and there, you could be like, it would be nice if you could just vocalize. I'm like, Oh, I have this fantasy that dot, 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 or at least if it's too hard to even say it, you could be like, maybe I'll, I'll write it out and I can like send it to you in an email and then we could have a talk about it later tonight or something while we're playing around. I think it's hard to begin to share those fantasies, but there's always a creative way to make it kind of fun. There's a way to make it really fun and sexy. And I think that if someone really wants to get intimate with you, that they will want to know what your crazy fantasy is. And how to begin even playing in a kinky way, I, I say just kind of go really slow and don't dive in too fast and quick. And maybe it starts with just taking away your sense of sight and just adding a blindfold into the mix or asking the other, do you want to be spanked? And they may say yes. And you could ask them how they want to be spanked or starting to open up that space of like, do you want to explore something that I haven't done before that it's just been in my head forever? And hopefully if the other would say yes, and that begins like this whole journey of playing out these parts of ourselves that want to come out. And I think that's the heart of what BDSM is. It's just being able to be someone else that you're not to role play and to experience something new. Just go really slow and enjoy the space in between the spanking and really just relish in every moment that is new. The thought of opening up and then being rejected can be terrifying. One thing I think could be helpful is remembering not to attach yourself to these things so much. Just because you have some teacher schoolgirl fantasy 
doesn't make you some sexual deviant that wants that exact situation to play out in real life. You might just be turned on by that contrast between a powerful position and vulnerability. And if it's your partner's response you're nervous about, go at it with curiosity. It could be a really great way of finding another layer of compatibility. Open-mindedness can be really sexy, especially within boundaries that you both agree upon. And yes, of course, there's a chance that they're going to say no or they won't be into the same thing. Just like you want them to be open to hearing what you want, be open to hearing what they do and do not want. Then decide how important this is to you. Can you find a common ground? The very worst case scenario is that your partner thinks differently of you or shames you for these things that you're thinking about. And honestly, I would consider that a red flag to be thankful for. I know that I definitely have my boundaries. There are things that I am not willing to do. But if somebody opened up to me about anything, I would just respectfully tell them that. The last thing that I would want to do is to make them feel any sort of shame about it. And that's a character thing. If shaming and judgment didn't come out in this situation, it probably would in other areas of your life. Right. I think that's a really good point of that's a really great place to know if someone is open enough. If they can't handle your fantasies, then maybe that means something about wanting to go deeper with that person or maybe just knowing that, hey, maybe let's explore. Well, maybe I can't do this, but possibly if we enlist a dominatrix and she can top you and maybe she could teach me how to. Or once it comes out there, the desire, the fantasy, the secret it becomes something that the other person can now understand or or play with or work with. Yeah, just trusting to let it come out, let it be expressed. And then from there, see how it can be expressed with each other. As a dominatrix, you see so many types of people, shapes, sizes, races, fetishes, all different things that may not have been your personal preference. I assume there's been a pretty big shift in how you view those things now compared to before being a dom. Do you have any tips for listeners to bring that level of acceptance to other people or situations in their lives? I think just remaining curious and trying to understand why someone would want that. And rather than being like, oh, that's weird, that's strange, and just cutting it off as, oh, they're weird, they're crazy, ask questions as to, oh, Can you explain why you find this pleasurable? Just remaining curious, compassionately curious. I mean, I didn't understand why a dominatrix existed before I became one. And now that I am one, I can understand this world and the psyches of those who want to explore it. And so just know that you may not know everything and that what you don't know is kind of the beginning of a discovery And possibly that resistance that you have to it could be actually the thing that you should investigate a little bit further. For listeners who are interested in finding out more about you or hearing more of your stories, where can they find you online? I have a website that I just created and it's still in its early developmental stage, but it's called pervet.com, P-E-R-V-E-T-T-E. And it's a space that I'm creating that is similar to my dungeon. I'm trying to create a safe space virtually where we can explore our fantasies and choose our own erotic adventure. 
it's in a place to build community and share our stories as well. It's there that where I'm trying to come out more with the things that I've been hiding or ashamed of. I'm trying to kind of write it out. And hopefully through my own sharing, it can inspire others to share what they've been uh, wanting to express but not know how. And I'm also on social media under Domina Colette via Twitter and Colette Prevet under Instagram. Well, I feel like my bucket list of things to try just got twice as long. Okay, truth be told, BDSM was the first porn I really got into, but I no longer really condone porn because it rewires your brain and can quite possibly ruin your sex life. So maybe try these things with a partner you're comfortable with rather than binging on videos on the deep dark web. For all of the links mentioned in this episode, head to mindlove.com slash 034. Leave a review on iTunes or a comment on CastBox if you have some extra time and follow Mind Love Podcast on Instagram for some extra content between episodes. As always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 